Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 31 of Adam Bede. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laurie Heinrichs. Adam Bede by George Eliot. Chapter 31. In Hetty's Bedchamber. It was no longer light enough to go to bed without a candle, even in Mrs. Poyser's early household, and Hetty carried one with her as she went up at last to her bedroom soon after Adam was gone, and bolted the door behind her. Now she would read her letter. It must. It must have comfort in it. How was Adam to know the truth? It was always likely he should say what he did say. She set down the candle and took out the letter. It had a faint scent of roses, which made her feel as if Arthur were close to her. She put it to her lips, and a rush of remembered sensations for a moment or two swept away all fear. But her heart began to flutter strangely, and her hands to tremble as she broke the seal. She read slowly. It was not easy for her to read a gentleman's handwriting though Arthur had taken pains to write plainly. Dearest Hetty, I have spoken truly when I have said that I loved you, and I shall never forget our love. I shall be your true friend as long as life lasts, and I hope to prove this to you in many ways. If I say anything to pain you in this letter, do not believe it is for want of love and tenderness towards you, for there is nothing I would not do for you if I knew it to be really for your happiness. I cannot bear to think of my little Hetty shedding tears when I am not there to kiss them away, and if I followed only my own inclinations I should be with her at this moment instead of writing. It is very hard for me to part from her, harder still for me to write words which may seem unkind, though they spring from the truest kindness. Dear, dear Hetty, sweet as our love has been to me, sweet as it would be to me for you to love me always. I feel that it would have been better for us both if we had never had that happiness, and that it is my duty to ask you to love me and care for me as little as you can. The fault has been all mine, for though I have been unable to resist the longing to be near you, I have felt all the while that your affection for me might cause you grief. I ought to have resisted my feelings. I should have done so if I had been a better fellow than I am. But now, since the past cannot be altered, I am bound to save you from any evil that I have power to prevent, and I feel it would be a great evil for you if your affections continued so fixed on me that you could think of no other man who might be able to make you happier by his love than I ever can, and if you continue to look towards something in the future which cannot possibly happen. For, dear Hetty, 
if i were to do what you one day spoke of and make you my wife i should do what you yourself would come to feel was for your misery instead of your welfare i know you can never be happy except by marrying a man in your own station and if i were to marry you now i should only be adding to any wrong i have done besides offending against my duty in the other relations of life you know nothing dear hetty of the world in which i must always live and you would soon begin to dislike me because there would be so little in which we should be alike and since i cannot marry you we must part we must try not to feel like lovers any more i am miserable while i say this but nothing else can be be angry with me my sweet one i deserve it but do not believe that i shall not always care for you always be grateful to you always remember my hetty and if any troubles should come that we do not now foresee trust in me to do everything that lies in my power i have told you where you are to direct the letter to if you want to write but i put it down below lest you should have forgotten do not write unless there is something i can really do for you for dear hetty we must try to think of each other as little as we can forgive me and try to forget everything about me except that i shall be as long as i live your affectionate friend arthur donathorne slowly hetty read his letter and when she looked up from it there was a reflection of a blanched face in the old dim glass a white marble face with rounded childish forms but with something sadder than a child's pain in it hetty did not see the face she saw nothing she only felt that she was cold and sick and trembling the letter shook and rustled in her hand she laid it down it was a horrible sensation this cold and trembling it swept away the very ideas that produced it and hetty got up to reach a warm cloak from her clothes-press wrapped it around her and sat as if she were thinking of nothing but getting warm presently she took up the letter with a firmer hand and began to read it through again the tears came this time great rushing tears that blinded her and blotched the paper she felt nothing but that arthur was cruel cruel to write so cruel not to marry her reasons why he could not marry her had no existence for her mind how could she believe in any misery that could come to her from the fulfilment of all that she had been longing for and dreaming of she had not the ideas that could make up the notion of that misery as she threw down the letter again she caught sight of her face in the glass it was reddened now and wet with tears it was almost like a companion that she might complain to that would pity her she leaned forward on her elbows and looked into those dark overflooding eyes and at the quivering mouth and saw how the tears came thicker and thicker and how the mouth became convulsed with sobs the shattering of all her little dream-world the crushing blow on her newborn passion afflicted her pleasure-craving nature with an overpowering pain that annihilated all impulse to resistance and suspended her anger she sat sobbing till the candle went out and then wearied aching stupefied with crying threw herself on the bed without undressing and went to sleep there was a feeble dawn in the room when hetty awoke a little after four o'clock with a sense of dull misery the cause of which broke upon her gradually as she began to discern the objects around her in the dim light and then came the frightening thought that she had to conceal her misery as well as to bear it in this dreary daylight that was coming she could lie no longer she got up and went towards the table there lay the letter she opened her treasure drawer there lay the earrings and the locket the signs of all her short happiness the signs of the lifelong dreariness that was to follow it looking at the little trinkets which she had once eyed and fingered so fondly as the earnest of her future paradise of finery she lived back in the moments when they had been given to her with such tender caresses 
such strangely pretty words, such glowing looks, which filled her with a bewildering, delicious surprise. They were so much sweeter than she had thought anything could be. And the Arthur who had spoken to her and looked at her in this way, who was present with her now, whose arms she felt round her, his cheek against hers, his very breath upon her, was the cruel, cruel Arthur who had written that letter. That letter which she snatched and crushed and then opened again, that she might read it once more. The half-benumbed mental condition which was the effect of last night's violent crying made it necessary to her to look again and see if her wretched thoughts were actually true, if the letter was really so cruel. She had to hold it close to the window, else she could not have read it by the faint light. Yes, it was worse, it was more cruel. She crushed it up in anger. She hated the writer of that letter, hated him for the very reason that she hung upon him with all her love, all the girlish passion and vanity that made up her love. She had no tears this morning. She had wept them all away last night, and now she felt that dry-eyed morning misery, which is worse than the first shock, because it has the future in it as well as the present. Every morning, to come, as far as her imagination could stretch, she would have to get up and feel that day would have no joy for her. For there is no despair so absolute as that which comes with the first moments of our first great sorrow, when we have not yet known what it is like to have suffered and be healed, to have despaired and to have recovered hope. As Hetty began languidly to take off the clothes she had worn all night, that she might wash herself and brush her hair, she had a sickening sense that her life would go on in this way. She should always be doing things she had no pleasure in, getting up to the old tasks of work, seeing people she cared nothing about, going church and to Treadleston and to tea with Mrs. Best, and carrying no happy thought with her. For her the short poisonous delights had spoiled for ever the little joys that had once made the sweetness of her life. The new frock ready for Treadleston Fair, the party at Mr. Britton's at Broxton Wake, the bow that she would say no to for a long while, and the prospect of the wedding that was to come at last when she would have a silk gown and a great many clothes all at once. These things were all flat and dreary to her now. Everything would be a weariness, and she would carry about forever a hopeless thirst and longing. She paused in the midst of her languid undressing and leaned against the dark old clothes-press. Her neck and arms were bare, her hair hung down in delicate rings, and they were just as beautiful as they were that night two months ago, when she walked up and down this bedchamber glowing with vanity and hope. She was not thinking of her neck and arms now, even in her own beauty was indifferent to her. Her eyes wandered sadly over the dull old chamber, and then looked out vacantly towards the growing dawn. Did a remembrance of Dinah come across her mind, of her foreboding words which made her angry? of Dinah's affectionate entreaty to think of her as a friend in trouble? No, the impression 